Welcome back to the Global Startup Movement. I'm your host, Andrew Berkowitz. My guest today is Andrew Mack, the CEO and founder at Agromobile. Agromobile is solving a big, big problem in the world. Currently, over 150 billion US dollars is lost every single year to the small farmer sector because of the inefficiencies in the supply chain. Most smallholder farmers live in remote areas that are far away from markets. And in order to sell their crops, they have to cultivate it and drag them across the side of the road in order to connect with a transporter that's able to get them into the market. As you can imagine, this process is super inefficient. There is very low leverage on the part of the farmer. And that 150 billion that's lost is due to the crops going bad before the farmer is able even to sell his production into the market. And so with estimates currently at 40% of all the Earth's land dedicated to agriculture use, this is a huge problem and a lot of value can be unlocked by creating an efficient solution to connect these farmers to transporters and the broader market. That's the moonshot that Agromobile is going for. And it was incredibly insightful to have Andrew on the show. He spent years in the development finance world before coming over into the startup world. And so he has a wealth of knowledge on these markets. And I know you'll enjoy this episode. So here's my interview with Andrew Mack, CEO and founder at Agromobile. Super excited for this. We we don't have a lot of people on the show that are very experienced in the development finance world as well as in the startup world. So I think you know marrying the two is certainly and creates an interesting area of expertise. And so I'm super excited for this episode. Well, thank you. I'm excited to be here. Yeah. I mean, so do you want to I guess start this off just kind of telling the story of of how you transition from the whole world of you know development finance. PPP into startups because most people, you know, they, they like their cushy job at the World Bank or, you know, whatever it may be. And, and, and they don't want to enter this, this high risk world of startups, but you decided that there was a bigger purpose for your career. So, well, uh, you know, you, you, everybody starts out on a different, slightly different road. And um, yes. when I started off my career in Africa, there wasn't really a startup world to be called anything yet, at, at that point. Uh, not really in the United States and certainly not in emerging markets. Uh, I started off working with the bank in 95 or 96, so a while ago, and did some of the bank's first world on pub- work on public-private partnerships, because I saw even then that there was a, that if Africa was going to grow and if the developing markets were going to grow, then, then that meant that there was going to be a role for the private sector, and that there was a multiplier effect that could happen if you had the combination of development finance and corporates and if people could get looped into not just the aid stream but the the economic stream because really that's the best that's the best aid program you could possibly have right and uh spent five years working at the world bank did a lot of work on conflict uh private sector and post-conflict and private sector development more broadly uh i loved it uh had a very very good experience but it's a big organization and there's a big world out there and basically left the bank to move to the other side of the of, of the fence, if you will, working with corporates that wanted to understand how they could play a role to do smart things that made sense for their business, but also were uh, going to work for the development of the countries in which they were, we were operating. You know, ostensibly 
what's good for Nigerian business is also good for Nigeria's development if you orient the two in the right way from the start. Right. And did you make that transition because you saw that corporates were starting to get more interested in Africa or was it just a natural uh, point in your career that you wanted to make that transition? I think a little bit of each. I think, I think even still today, there are an awful lot of companies that talk a good game, but when it comes down to it, uh, work in emerging markets is still a very small part of the work that they do just in terms of revenue, in terms of the staff that they devote to it, in terms, in, in a lot of ways, they still see a lot of uh, emerging markets as, as secondary consumers because they really haven't, they haven't really gotten around the, to the idea that, that these are consumers who can put uh, money in their pocket. And also a lot of the markets aren't very good at selling themselves still. And so you got this, this kind of, uh, it's a chicken and egg situation where, uh, you know, uh, uh, African Middle East or Latin America may be a small part of our annual revenues. And so we devote a, a small amount of our annual marketing budget. And so it kind of creates that, that kind of, that kind of low energy, right. but I think it's starting to cha- change a lot. It's starting to change a lot in part because there are more connections between, uh, between business that's growing on in, in, in the uh, emerging markets world and also uh, some of the economic dynamism to be a company in a lot of countries in Africa means to be almost to have a startup mentality. You gotta be a real hustler. You gotta be really smart. You gotta be really, really creative. You gotta take, never take no for an answer. And so this is an obvious place uh, for a company like ours to be. Right. Yeah. It makes sense. And do you see that, do you see that corporate interest in these markets is ramping up along with what China is doing? Like, do you think China investing, ramping up their investment? Cause China now invests, uh, about 10 times more in, in Africa than the U.S. does right now. Uh, and do, you, do you think that's creating a sense of urgency for corporates or kind of giving them a new perspective on the markets? Or I think it's possible. I mean, I think we're, we're a little far away from the startup world right now. Uh, but, um, you know, the geopolitics of it are, 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 are a little bit complicated because the kinds of investments that are being made are you know, they're mostly in natural resources and infrastructure and things like that, which are, uh, which may or may, may or may not have much impact either on employment or on, uh, on that kind of a startup uh, or an, inc- an incubator mentality. Um, my impression is that this is still very much the game of Latin America and Africa to decide for themselves. Mm. And uh, so, you know, our goal has been to try to work in these markets, which we know really, really well and get, you know, make the, make the kind of right kind of partnerships and, and, and tap into what we believe is the natural dynamism of, uh, of these regions and solve some big problems and uh, yeah. get paid for. Yeah. And the problem you're, sol- you're solving with Agromovio is certainly a big one. Uh, is. How is, you know, but I'm sure you saw a lot of big problems when you were, you know, in the development finance world. So why did. Uh, why did you decide to focus on this one in particular? And, and maybe you should kind of give us a high level of what yeah, exactly sure. the, okay. the problem the supply chain is. So the uh, the big problem is I you know I spent a lot of time, decades working in in the emerging markets world, and I had a period of about four or five years where I was traveling every month to Africa or Latin America, occasionally to Asia, uh, for work, and kept seeing the same thing. I kept seeing an image of people, small farmers sitting by the side of the road with a big bag of something, right? They'd been working, you know, their eyes out to try to, to try to try to try to grow some crop. And it's sitting there by the side of the road in the hot sun going bad, the economic future of their family literally going bad before their eyes. 
And I came back to the office and I said, you know, we've got to take a look at this and see if this is a real thing. Because at this point, there's just no explaining why it would make sense that these guys can't get their stuff to market. So did the research, got a team working on it. And in turn, you know, in, in fact, it was exactly what we expected. I mean, according to WHO, somewhere between 150, $200 billion worth of goods never even make it to market, mm. right? A lot of the stuff that makes it to market is damaged in the process or it gets there late. So we miss the fresh, freshness premium. So there's a huge amount of waste on the one side. It's also, oh, you know, it's not, it's not efficient for the transporters to come and pick the things up. And it's very, very expensive in part because so many intermediaries are touching it. For the uh, for 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 the people who are selling it to end consumers who are paying you know ten fifteen twenty times what what the farmer is getting so it's an inefficient system all the way around but you know what, what what could we do to fix that now I have a personal connection to it because not only have I worked in these markets for thirty plus years I got two young sons who I hope will have a chance to eat later on we have friends all around the world we know. You know, we know what it's like to try to make a living in these places. We know that there needs to be that one of the one of the that agriculture, small scale agriculture is the largest employer on Earth. There are 500 million small farms around the world. 1.5 billion people live in these small farm communities. Mm -hmm. That would be the largest country on Earth. Yeah. Right. So even if we had enough food making agriculture work as an economic activity is crucial if we're all going to make it together as the world becomes a 9 billion person, not a 7 billion person planet. Right. right. So uh, this seemed to be the right thing. I, we, uh, back in the office three or four years ago, made up a list of the most important problems that we're facing the world right now. And we looked at employment and we looked at food and we looked at climate and this touches a lot of the things that just need to happen. So we figured, uh, been very lucky to have all these opportunities to this point in my career. I wanted to want to really orient around solving something that was big, and I'm foolish enough to think we can get it get it accomplished. Yeah, well, I guess paint us a picture of exactly what this what this looks like. So, these farmers, once their crops actually yield, do they just kind of in like you know pull a tractor just on the side of the road, pull it to the market, and, and try to sell it, or like how does yeah, how does the process it's work? A, it's a it, it obviously depends from country to country, right. and and there are. Um, small farmers who live in really basic basic conditions all the way up through uh, uh, farmers who are very tightly connected into the uh, global supply chain. But, uh, you know, one of the first little one pagers that we put together has a picture of an African farmer with you know, three or four bunches of bananas pushing them on his bicycle. Mm -hmm. Most farmers around the world have two responsibilities. One is to grow and the other one is to transport. They're inefficient transporters, right? I mean, and we've spent a tremendous amount of time trying to fix the question of, can we make them better agriculturalists, ag extension and all kinds of ag data and, and you know, and climate data and things like that. But we really haven't tackled the question of how to get the product to market very effectively. Uh, and, so, and so that's one of the biggest issues that we face. Think about it like this. I'm a small farmer out, and it's, 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 and it's especially true if you're a farmer in a post-conflict area or if you're a farmer in an economically disadvantaged or indigenous area. I'm a small farmer out in the hinterlands. How am I going to tell the market that my goods are ready? Right? What's, so what, one of the things that we, with it, the Agromobile is, is a match, batch, and pay functionality. It's a, it's a functionality that allows the, allows the farmer, the, 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 the producer, and the, and, and the buyer to match up and pushes those matches to a batching engine that allows for optimized routes so that a transporter can come and pick them up 
in, a, in an optimized way so that they can make a, 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 you know, a, a, an economically viable visit to the countryside and then allows people to pay on the platform because a lot of people around the world still pay with cash and that is risky and that is inefficient and that does, leaves people out of the financial system and doesn't allow them to build their credit ratings and all the different kinds of things that can happen if they're in the system. And so, if you will, the first part of that is to be able to raise your hand and say, hi, I'm here. I have this quantity of goods that's going to be available at this point in time, of this quality, who can come and pick me up? Just the visibility between the buyer and the seller and the transporter is, is, is a huge change in what goes on. Right now, uh, either, I, either I have somebody who comes by and picks up my stuff, that, uh, uh, buys it whatever price they want, or I have one of my local friends come and help me get things to market. And uh, both of those are pretty inefficient from the farmer perspective and, and from, from the consumer perspective too. Right. And so how do you, how, how do you go about user acquisition in these markets? Because I know a lot of startups here, they'll just, you know, the answer to that is we'll, we'll raise some venture capital and just pump some money into Facebook ads. Yeah. But that's probably not the best way to actually like, you know, get, get these farmers and these transporters onboarded onto on sure. the platform, right? Sure. No, I mean, this is not... Uh, uh, the way that Uber has, you know, massive advertising uh, yes. is not going to be the way to reach global agriculture. Uh, Although they just laid off a, hu- a huge portion of their marketing. Uh, I think their latest Q- or report was like a $5 billion loss. Yeah. This last quarter. Okay. So but that's not anyways, on our, 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 our goal is not, not to create a, a large company with $5 billion losses. Yes. Um, yes. African startups can't afford yeah, to lose you know, $5 billion a quarter. For, so, for, so, for so the, so the, so the short answer is, is, is that our, um, is, the only way to really reach the agricultural communities from what we've been able to see is to work through trusted, work through the trusted groups that they belong to and they relate to. Mm-hmm. Okay. So who are our partners? We're, as I, as I may have mentioned, we're, we're starting our, our, uh, um, our, our, our initial launch is going to be in Colombia, but we're already talking with Eric Osiakwan and, uh, um, and farmer line in, in Ghana and a number of other places all along the continent. And our, um, the, the general idea is very simple. We're not, you don't want to try to reach farmers one by one, okay? It wouldn't make any sense. You want to reach them through their growers' cooperatives. You want to reach them through the transport unions that they use. You want to reach them through the banks that they use and the, and the credit unions and other financial intermediaries, and even through the cell phone companies that they're using. So work with those as aggregators, work with those people as trusted intermediaries, as people where you, you know, obviously your, 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 your training has to be simple. The interface has to be simple. It can't be a, a complicated thing. It has to all be cell phone enabled, which all, all of our stuff is. But you want to work through, uh, you want to work through people that, that they already know because uh, the goal is not culture change. The goal is efficiency and, you know, happy customers who get, it and making more money. I can tell you from interviewing farmers in 20 countries, uh, it's great to produce more product, but the reason why people go to the field is to make money for their families and to pay for school fees and pay for clothes and food and, and, and the kinds of things that we want to. Yeah. But I think this problem also highlights the um, inefficiency of some of what the foundations and nonprofits are doing because they if a foundation is focusing on helping to farmers improve yield while they can't even get their current yield to market in time, like there's, there's a mis, there's a misalignment there. Right. So, um, so Andrew, imagine this. Okay. Yes. So, so, uh, um, 
tomorrow you find a way that you can make 30% more for doing the same amount of same amount of work, you'd take the check, right? Yes. That $150 billion or $200 billion, depending on what, what day of the year is. And that's current dollars every year. That's not, you know, one time. That's, and it's only going to rise as the number of people out, are out there, right? Right. That the $150, $200 billion, think of it like an uncashed check sitting by the side of the road. Okay. Mm. So part of our goal is to make sure that every piece, every every bag of crops gets picked up, gets picked up when it should get picked up, gets put into the hands of people and that the, and that the, uh, the, the farmers get a, a reasonable sh- uh, shake of that. Now the, that's going to happen when it's more efficient to pick it up, when it's cheaper to pick it up because you're batching the transport. Right. And when you get pushed into the global supply chain as quickly as possible. And uh, you know, we're, we're very excited because the, all of the people that we've talked to, uh, say that we're in the right historical moment. The coverage is getting there in terms of data and cell phone coverage. People's knowledge of apps and how they work is getting there. Uh, people's literacy even, and even frankly, the, the, the changes in the demography. Uganda, average age of a farmer is 58. Colombia, the average of, or age of a farmer is 58. Same in the United States. Wow. We know that there's gonna be a wholesale changeover in who owns the land, who runs the land, who farms the land, mm-hmm. right? And if for, for a generation, farmers around the world have been saying to their kids, go to the city, don't do this. This is a bad business. We know um, from a macro public policy level, we know that we need to attract those people back to farming. And the only way that that's going to happen is if they can make money doing it. Otherwise, it doesn't make any sense. Right. That makes sense. Well, uh, can you tell us like a, a story? I know you, you mentioned I before. Stories, I, I'll bet you do. I mentioned, you mentioned before the... Um, some of the work you're doing in Colombia sure. with, with avocado farmers. And you have an yeah, so we have a, we, we were working in, in two different parts of Colombia. We've done some field testing and, and some, and some you know, farmer interviews and getting all of the advice that one would need to get. And uh, I remember the very first uh, uh, time we were, uh, we were in, we were working with the uh, avocado farmers in La Union and Pereira up in, up in, uh, in, the, in the Valle de Cauca and outside of it um, in, uh, in Colombia, the highlands. And, you know, we're sitting and talking with the avocado farmers. They've invested, the government of Colombia has invested, you know, almost $200 million to make avocados a thing. Right, hot avocado is a thing, and we went and got the shirt. I, you know, I got I got made an honorary member of of Asohas, the uh, Avocado Association. We did a big presentation for them, and they're like, "We're on board. We're ready to go." And uh, I said, "So tell me about this. Tell me about what it means to get into the supply chain for you guys, right? Tell me about tell me about your pain, right?" The guy says to me, "It's really it's fascinating." He says he said to me, "This avocado that I have in my hand." is worth three and a half euros in Brussels if I can get it into the supply chain at the right time. Two days later, and it's worth 25% less. One week later, and you've, I know, you've obviously seen what it's like. An, an old avocado is not a happy thing, right? Yes. One week later, it's pig food. It has mm. almost no economic value, and I've lost the prospects for my family. Right. So they're very much on board. And, uh, you know, we met with people in the in different aspects of the supply chain and everybody basically said the same thing, which is we need more visibility. We need to get things sooner. We need to you know, we need to make better transactions. We need to get people into the into the banking system. So uh, so that was a, it was it was it was pretty incredible to be sitting there 
up in the mountains with the guys actually picking the avocados and to have the have the um, uh, the, the head of the association explain to me really how much was at stake. I mean, that's a, the difference is just ginormous. Yeah. Well, I mean, so give us an idea. I mean, how like the average what what's the average amount of acreage that some of these small holder farmers actually? Are, well, I mean, I can tell you. I mean. It, 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 it ranges from, you know, an acre or two all the way up to a, a pretty big, uh, you know, pretty big amount of, of, uh, of, of territory. We, the, one of the things that we have tried very hard to do is to design the agromobile platform in a way that it, it can be available to people as they are right now. So if it's, if, you know, if you're a small farmer, you could get on the platform and you can use it. If you're, a, if you're a transporter currently, you can get on the platform. If you're one of the intermediaries, and you're, you know, just going and picking stuff up and reselling it, you could still use the platform. Our goal is not, I, I want to distinguish ourselves from, 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 from kind of like an Uber approach. Our goal isn't to put the existing system out of business, it's to make everybody more efficient. Obviously, over the course of time, a closer connection between buyer and seller is a good thing for both, right? Yes. But in the interim, in, in, in the interim, we know that, you know, intermediaries could use this and people who are, there are going to be some larger farmers who, you know, we've got a, the, in, in, in Colombia, one of the places we're going to be target, we're going to be piloting is with the, uh, the uh, rubber producers union, right? The rubber producers union has already has a pretty good uh, handle in on how to get their things into the international market. They need to get them from where the farm is, get them roll, get, get them rolled up into, into batches get them to the place where they can get processed and go out. Right. And so, and so it's, uh, there are, uh, you know, it could, you could, you could be talking about a very small farm with a, an acre or two. You could be talking about a much larger farm that's using this as a way to either bundle more crops and fill up a load or as a way to take the crops that they have and get them more efficiently to the buyers that they need them. Right. Uh, there is so much efficiency loss in these different ecosystems. You know, the, the goal, though, is, 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 is to make a platform that is so simple that, uh, um, that you know, people can use it. One of, the things we've, one of the things we've noticed, and I've spent now, I don't know, I started working in Africa in the, in the 80s. And one of the things I've noticed is, is that uh, a smart technologist is humble in working with emerging markets. Yes. Africa uses technology oftentimes in ways that are much more cle much cleverer than we in the Silicon Valley world have ever thought of, right? Uh, and uh, so we're trying to keep it simple and uh, and work with partners to add in functionality as, as as makes sense and let people use it how it makes sense to them. Yeah, but like, so give us an anchor of like what what does this product process actually look like in a super efficient market? Like farmers in the U.S. or Europe, which, which I'm assuming we have you know a, a much more efficient. Uh, process and supply chain than they have over there. Like, w what's so different about here that, that makes it you know more efficient? Is it is it just the infrastructure and the roads? That's well, uh, so, I mean, some of it is roads, but you know, we were just on the phone uh, uh, last week with uh, with a guy who is launching a kind of a startup who wants to license our uh, our technology. Uh, dealing with people in Sacramento, I mean, there is still tremendous inefficiency. There's still a lot of a lot of informal pickup, uh, a lot of specialty producers, high-end specialty producers still, I mean, you've seen it when they come into the farm, uh, come from the farm into the farmer's market, right? Uh, that's time that they're not producing. That's right. time that they're, you know, they're not hugely efficient sellers. They lose all of the product that comes into market, doesn't get sold, right? Uh, we were talking uh, a couple of years back with guys in, uh, um, spoke at a conference for the, for the World Bank. It, it, 
we, 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 there are there are specialty meat and cheese producers in places like Ireland with those long and winding roads that could benefit tremendously if each of them has a truck, right? And each of those trucks has to come and make a pickup on those long and windy roads. That's in its its own inefficiency. The, the, the basics of the market are the same, whether you're talking about a richer country or a poorer country. It's the visibility for the farmer of being able to get their crops visible, right? And to for the visibility of the, of, of, the, of, the, uh, of the purchaser that wants to purchase them. Now, we know that there are lots of marketplaces where people can put stuff up and people can buy. It's been going on for, you know, 15, 20 years, right? The difference is, is that I think we're connected to the transaction in a way they're not and uh, facilitate that transaction in a way that frankly will make people more money, more money in the end for the farmer, for the transporter, and for the, for the, for the, uh, for the uh, end user is the goal. Right, right. So talk to us about, you know, what, what does the process look like for you as a startup that's actually focused on these emerging frontier market that probably isn't really top of mind for a lot of VCs in Silicon Valley right now that are just investing in scooters, you know? Um, so, you know, it's always interesting to hear founders in the mar- in these markets like where are they spending their time in, in fundraising like because there's a whole world of grants there's a whole world of impact investors there's a whole world of venture capitalists and i've noticed that a lot of venture capitalists that invest in africa all because they invest in africa now they call themselves impact investment funds right. you know um but like you know w- what what does that process look for you and you know what's it like trying to manage like a cap table that's that's all these different you know, interests and priorities and they have their, 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 their own agendas, I'm assuming when, yeah, when they're sure. investing. No, I think it's a, look, it's a, and, and it, and it's so hard as a founder to know, we have an amazing team, but it's so hard as a, as a founder uh, to know how to spend your time on this. Right. Um, there's, I went to a conference a few years back. Um, uh, I'm trying to remember the one uh, where um, opportunity collaboration was, I think it was one. And we were sitting, I was sitting talking with, one of these impact investors and the guy pulled me aside and basically said, you know, Andrew, impact investing is like high school sex. Everybody's talking about it. No one's actually doing it. Right. (laughs) And, um, and I thought, you know, it's look, there's a, there's a lot of, there's a lot of discussion and uh, there are a lot of people who I think want to do good things with their investing. Um, I am a big believer that impact investing is just investing and that we should all be thinking in terms of the impact that we are having and that we should all be thinking long-term because we're hopefully going to be around for the long-term, right? Right. And more scooter companies, I don't necessarily think we need. This is something that's front and center to all of our survival and frankly, front and center to like, you know, the weight standard of living that we all want to live. Right. And uh, so we manage this, you know, we've gotten great support from the Toyota Mobility Foundation. We've gotten some great support from Carnegie Mellon. Uh, we're uh, beginning work with, uh, uh, with Ernst & Young to the Ripples program. We've got a lot of different people. And you're right, they all have slightly different perspectives. We are trying to say to everybody the same thing, which is, you know, this is very much, this is not a nonprofit. Don't put your nonprofit hat on. This is, this is a for-profit business that will have a very big positive outcome for the communities that we work in. But starting with the, and we went back to the beginning part of our conversation about, about Africa and viewing, you know, farmers in Africa as consumers, not just as people who are recipients of aid. I think the same thing is very much the case. The, in the, the, the farmers and the transporters and the placeros, the people who sell in the plaza, they are 
valuable customers, right? They need to make money. We will make money when they make money. And I think that, uh, I think that we, we organize ourselves very much in that way. Uh, I will say that uh, it's tough. You, you know, there are a lot of windows that are open for potential support, but they're very slow. They take a really long time. Uh, you know, um, you, could, you could lose your entire life in the process of making applications for these different things, some of which will work and some of which won't, won't. And the numbers are very, very small in a lot of cases. So you really have to prioritize. We've prioritized trying to make the technology really super cool. And we're working with a local, we're working with a global South developer team based in Bogota. We're working with students in, 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 in Colombia and in other countries. I mean, it's a, it's very much a, um, it, it, it's very much, you know, you have to, you, you really have to try to be as efficient as you possibly can and focus on the content as much as possible. And um, we are hoping through things like this, people will see us and uh, understand what we're trying to do. It is interesting though, when you go to a straight up VC, I used to be a banker. When you go to a straight up VC, they're very much like bankers. If you can show me that it already works, I'll just more money in it. Right. Yeah, that's lovely. But <laughs> if I could do that, it just goes to the bank, right? Yes. <laughs> so uh, yeah, I think it's a, I think it's a, it's a place where the market needs to mature, and I think it's probably most difficult in places like Africa, where you know already people come with pre-baked notions of what's right, what's going on. And and what what cities do you find yourself spending the most time in when you're fundraising? So what one of the interesting things actually about this show, because you know we need to uh, have our guests here in D.C. A lot of the um, a lot of the founders that I'm that I know that I'm emailing Africa like, hey, hey, we have this new studio in DC. You should come by. They're saying, well, you know, would love to. I spend most of my time I'm in New York actually, mm-hmm. um, and I'm not in DC that much, which, which is interesting because it kind of um, shows like you know maybe where the partners sit, where the capital is flowing from. It's like you as an entrepreneur that's operating in these markets. Like, what geographies or what cities are you kind of focusing your fundraising time in? Yeah, so it's a good question. I, look, it, this is something that I think is a hard question, okay? There are not a lot of investors in most parts of the Global South. So uh, where are we looking? Well, we've spent and when you, when you say Global South, is that Latin America, Africa? Latin America, Africa primarily. Um, but I mean, there, it's not that it doesn't exist, but there just aren't a lot. And, um, and so, you know, so, so that's a bit of a challenge because when you're going to a VC or when you're going to, uh, to another funding source, one of the things that they will ask you is what I used to ask as a banker, which is, okay, show me that local people are interested in this. Right. Right. And so we've established a lot of local contacts and local, local teaming and local partnerships. We've got partnerships with the uh, large, uh, um, the lar- one of the largest uh, credit unions in Colombia, Sun, and we, we've done work with, big corporates and things like that to, to try and show that, in fact, you know, had great conversations with, with Walmart and Young and other people to give people a sense of, of comfort about it. Um, you know, we spent some time in Silicon Valley and that seems to be going okay. It's a, you know, it's a bit of a slow roll. Um, uh, New York a little bit less so, mostly because New York doesn't seem to be super excited about emerging markets from what I can see. Mm. And because there's a lot of quicker, easier ways to make money in a, you know, in, in, in a, in a increasingly squishy global environment. Um, I also think that agriculture is a little bit different than the scooter business and that you, you need to think a little bit longer term, right? right. Uh, that said, we've got a business model that puts us cash flow positive in 18 months. So we're pretty jazzed about it. It's one of those things that's always a challenge. How much time do you spend trying to build the brand versus how much time do you spend building the product? And we have defaulted perhaps a little bit more to building the product because we thought that, that that's the real value. And uh, 
so far so good. I, I, I can't complain. I, uh, we're coming out of the lab with an awful lot of juice and a little bit of a tailwind and uh, really excited about where we're going uh, later this year. Right. Well, I mean, do you really think that the brand is, is very important with, with what you're doing? Like, I, I, you know, from the farmer's perspective, they probably, it's, it's just more, you know, get me more money and, you know, we'll, we'll definitely use it, you know, sure. but like, who, who do you feel like the brand, like, oh, no, I, think, I, I think the brand is mostly important in terms of building buzz for investors, frankly. Mm. Right. Uh, the, uh, um, it seems to be increasingly possible to get, you know, on CNBC and Forbes and this kind of stuff with a good shiny thing. I don't think it necessarily lasts very long, but it's not a bad credential to have. Right. Um, we've gone through Peace Tech Lab and we had a great experience here. We, you know, won World Bank uh, startup contests. Uh, but the rubber meets the road like it did in our last meeting on the ground with the farmers and transporters in, in you know, outside of La Brija in Santander, the east, eastern part of, uh, of Colombia. When you see one farmer showing another farmer how to use the app, right, and making the scheduling a pickup and having that, you know, having that come all the way through the process, you know, you're onto the right thing. And uh, um, so, yeah, I mean, I think the branding is important in terms of raising more money, uh, which we are definitely in. We're finally at the place where we are really, really, uh, you know, could could use it now. Yeah. Uh, but at the same time, I, I you know, I. It's, it's like anything as a founder, it's, it's that balance of trying to get both of those things done with, um, you know, with the startup resources that yes. you can imagine. Yeah. But I mean, it's probably amazing for you to see that the farmers doing that. And I think these markets, and I was talking with uh, uh, Rebecca Nongchong uh, in our last episode about this, where these markets are used, they're not necessarily used to win-win propositions. They're used to a deal where it's like someone's getting screwed over and it's certainly not going to be me. I'm going to make sure I position myself so that's not the case. But with something that, with a product that you're introducing to the market, like you are, um, you're introducing a win-win to the market that when, when you actually have a good solution like that, people are actually going to share it. And it's going right. to, there's going to be right. a right virality to it. And it's going to bring people in who would otherwise not be in. I mean, so with, there are people on the, on the continent in Africa and in Latin America that are doing things that are more localized, right? Where there are, you know, groups like Twiga that own big pieces of a, of a supply chain and, and God bless. I hope that they're, they're successful. Uh, part of what we're trying to do is to set ourselves up a little bit more like a, like an Airbnb platform. It's a, it's a, it's a thinner platform that people can, can get onto more easily uh, because we know that there are parts of the country which will not in, in many countries that are coming out of conflict or whatever, that may, may not be able to be fully integrated in the short term. Right. But can a farmer who really wants to get into the supply chain do it? Sure. Right. There are going to be some small countries. I'm thinking of places in, 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 in Guinea where it's going to be like, 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 like some of the, some of the small, some of the, uh, Guinea jumped into my mind because someone was mentioning it the other day, but, but some of the smaller countries are really hard to raise capital for. Right. You, you say, I got a great startup and I want to push it into this market. People are going to be like, okay, great. But, you know, we've got X number of millions of people. That's, I don't necessarily, that doesn't become a front of mind. And so we wanted to try to come up with a, with a, with a simple enough platform that people could say, I will take it up, you know, and I'm yeah. going to, I'm going to use it in my country. And it doesn't require, uh, it doesn't require huge infrastructure in an area where people may not have a huge infrastructure. Yeah. But the infrastructure piece is certainly a catch 22 in a market. Like, you know, like you said, Malawi or, mm -hmm. uh, you know, use Timor Lisa as, as an example. Sure. Like, what are you going to raise all this debt to build all this ICT infrastructure for, for who? Like, you know, exactly. So that's why having a simple interface that people can 
download and use themselves where the only integration that needs to happen on a national platform a national basis would be an integration with with the payment system yes uh, it's a simpler place to go um, it allows it also allows frankly for a much more security if you're trying to get out to parts of the country that might be a little bit less secure and uh, you know I mean I think I, I think that this is the way to go we, we, we need to you know if we're going to make full use of all the good work that's been done to try to increase yield and increase the capacity of farmers and all of that kind of stuff, then we need to complete the equation. And completing the equation means getting those crops to market and getting people paid more. Yes. Amazing. Well, Andrew Mack, CEO of Agromobile, thank you so much for joining us. Before we sign off, uh, what, do you, what do you look for in partners? Like if we have potential partners tuning in right now, like what, is, uh, what, what do you look for in, in an ideal partnership? In an ideal partnership, we're looking for someone who has, uh, well, obviously a great entrepreneurial spirit and a great entrepreneurial mind. We're looking to try to build our networks. You, met, you asked before about how we were going to get this out into a lot number, large number of people's hands. Yes. We're looking for networks of farmers. We're looking for uh, cell phone companies and other aggregators that we can work off of, right? People who have an interest in seeing their members or their customers succeed where this would be a good help. Right. So we've partnered with, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're partnering with universities that have large groups of, you know, technical expertise. We're partnering with uh, with with um, uh, you know, finance, financial organizations where we're partnering with growing growers, organizations, uh, buyers, organizations. And those kinds of people would be fabulous to work with. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. Thank you so much. For so I'm, like, I'm excited to bring it to Africa. We've worked with. 34 countries in Africa over the okay. course of my career. So uh, yeah. um, not a stranger uh, and uh, looking forward to seeing you on the content. Awesome. Well, as you know, you grow, as you progress, I'm sure, I'm sure we'll have you on the show at some point again over the next, you know, Thanks, we'll looking forward the next to few it. months. Yeah.